lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And Merry Christmas to all of you. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving weekend. Is it okay to say Merry Christmas now? Erzin, is this past the Erzin test? Is it okay? Is oh, it kosher? It's cool. Okay. Merry Christmas to all of you. Well done to Aaron getting the studio ready for the most wonderful time of the year. It looks you know absolutely it. great. Uh, tell your wife thank you as well because I'm guessing she had a hand in this. She uh, inspired me. To create this beautifulness because she is so beautiful. That is a, that's the word we're going to use, inspired. We're going to go with that. All right. Thank you. Uh, we are back at it again after a long holiday weekend. You know, if you have been uh, a part of this show for a long period of time, this is always my worst show of the year because of the long layoff. I'm just getting used to being home and I'm back in that home routine, right? And then you get whisked because it takes a few days to decompress because you work so many hours to stay on top of everything and, and produce a show of this magnitude. And then it takes a few days to be down, to, to recalibrate down. And you're like, I, I don't have to do all this right now. And then right when I'm like, you know, I'm in the routine of home, oh, back to work, like the Christmas break. My family loves the annual Christmas break we take, but by the end of it, everybody's like, you know, it's been two weeks. We need to get back to our normal routine, right? But this Monday is going to be a tad sluggish, but the good news is it's it will probably sustain the level of mediocrity that most of you are accustomed to, so you won't notice a bit of difference. You can let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox, steve at stevedace.com. That's how you can email the program, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show over on our new MeWe page. Look up Steve Dace there. Follow us uh, at Steve Dace on Parlor and check out our new YouTube page as well at youtube.com slash Steve Dace. We are just... 15 days away, two weeks from tomorrow, my new book, the novella sequel to A Nefarious Plot, known as A Nefarious Carol, will be released. You can pre-order your copy on Amazon.com right now to make sure you get yours on day one. The audiobook is already for sale, by the way. Audible put that out early, so that was a nice surprise. And audiobooks and pre-orders are going so well, we may sell more of these than we did Truth Bombs before... We actually have before the book actually even comes out. So remind me, I have you guys' uh, advanced copies with me in my bag nice. uh, cool. to give to you guys. So get your pre-order today. You can learn more about the book there. I know it's Cyber Monday. Something like $12 billion of business will be done online. Throw a few shekels my kids' Christmas funds way, please because they're counting on all of you. So get your pre-order in now. Thanks to all of you that have already done that. All right, coming up a little bit later on today, uh, next hour, we'll do our Monday Town Hall. It's our monthly Facebook Ask Me Anything edition. Todd has been perusing the questions you have left us on your Facebook page. He has selected the ones he would like me to answer, and I have not seen these, and I'll get to as many of them as I possibly can next hour. Our good friend Bob Vanderplatz from The Family Leader will be joining us here at the bottom of the hour. But before we get to all of that, here is Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. 
What happened while we were away brought to you by what in the world is going on with efforts to prove voter fraud since the election? Numerous lawsuits have arisen and seemingly been vanquished in numerous states across the country. You already know, like Wisconsin, Michigan and Pennsylvania, to name a few to prove voter and election fraud. So what's actually going on with those efforts and how would we know exactly what the Trump legal team is doing? Well, first we'd go to DonaldJTrump.com, the official website of the Trump campaign. We'd click on news and then we'd watch Diamond and Silk talk about election fraud. For real, though, we'll start in Pennsylvania. Members of the Pennsylvania legislature, along with the Trump campaign, held a hearing in Gettysburg to discuss witness testimony of voter fraud. My name is Gregory Stenstrom. I'm from Delaware County. I'm a father, a family man. I was a former commanding officer and executive officer in the Navy. I'm a veteran of foreign wars. I'm a CEO of my own private company. I'm a data scientist. I'm a forensic computer scientist. I'm an expert in security and fraud. And we were told, um, I was told the next day uh, by uh, the uh, solicitors, uh, well, actually not the solicitor, but the attorney that we had secured, that they said every election they leave a couple of USBs in the voting machines and they're brought back and generally the warehouse manager comes over and puts them in. So in talking to uh, the U.S. Uh, Attorney General uh, McSwain and other uh, law enforcement officers, uh, I found out that was not the case, that generally, uh, you know, more than, more than two is unusual. So they denied they did it, but um, as of today, 47 USPV cards are missing, and they're nowhere to be found. So at the very, the very beginning of the, uh, the chart where there's a circle that says on Election Day, uh, what that indicates is there is a spike in uh, loaded votes, uh, uh, 337,000 plus or minus of some votes that were added in there. Can you calculate how, how, how much of a vote that accounted for for Biden and how much for Trump? Close to 600,000. I think our, our figures were about 570 some odd thousand that uh, all those spikes represent over time. For Biden? Correct. And how much for Trump? Uh, I think it was a little over 3,200. Then on Friday, the Trump campaign's suit asking for 680,000 ballots in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh to be thrown out due to voter fraud was heard in the Third Circuit Court of Appeals. The court ruled there wasn't sufficient evidence for this. Trump appointed Judge Stefanos Bibas wrote the opinion for the three-judge panel and said, quote, charges of unfairness are serious, but calling an election unfair does not make it so. Charges require specific allegations and then proof. We have neither here. Trump campaign lawyer Jenna Ellis pledged to appeal to the Supreme Court. In Georgia, former Trump attorney Sidney Powell filed her so-called Kraken lawsuit in federal court on Friday. The case seeks to decertify Georgia's 2020 election results, which indicated Joe Biden as the winner of the state. Powell's lawsuit includes allegations against Dominion voting systems. More on that later. But more notably, affidavits from witnesses of inept and at least borderline fraudulent vote handling, including one poll worker who said they witnessed no ballots being verified their entire time working, hostility towards Republican observers but never towards Democrat observers. Another witness saying pretty much every ballot they received was for Joe Biden, allegations of counterfeit ballots, and illegal ballots being cast from out-of-state residents. About Dominion voting systems, a separate lawsuit from Trump attorney Lynn Wood requested all voting machines not be wiped or messed with in the state. U.S. District Court Judge Timothy Patton briefly granted Wood's request for a temporary injunction before reversing himself.
In Michigan, Sidney Powell filed a similar lawsuit to the one she filed in Georgia. Powell and a group of Republicans filed suit on Wednesday, alleging widespread voter irregularities and asking for the decertification of votes in the state. In Wisconsin, President Trump promised a lawsuit. Milwaukee County finished its recount on Friday, and the rest of the state is expected to finish today or tomorrow. Trump had his first one-on-one interview since the election with Maria Bartiromo of Fox News. And what happened, if you watched the election, I was called by the biggest people uh, saying, congratulations, political people. Congratulations, sir. You just won the election. It was 10 o'clock and you looked at the numbers and I'm sure you felt that way. This election was over. And then they did dumps. They call them dumps, big, massive dumps uh, in Michigan and Pennsylvania and uh, uh, all over. So to boil it all down, here's a summary of the post-election legal efforts to prove voter fraud, at least from the outside observer. She has given us a lot of wonderful things to think about. Right, what is wrong, who's to say, really, in the end? I mean, because it is unknowable. And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's Montage brought to you by our friends over at Home Title Lock. You know, I got a crash course into home title theft. And man, when I learned about this, everybody watching right now, listening right now, better pray this never happens to you. It can ruin you financially. Here's how this crime occurs. The legal titles to our homes are often kept online these days, which means they can be hacked. Cyber thieves, find your home's title. Forge your signature on a quit claim deed stating you sold your home to them and then they take out loans against your home until your equity is gone. You won't know about it often until the collection calls start pouring in and no, you're probably not protected by your bank or your homeowner's insurance. Thankfully, though, Home Title Lock will protect you. And in the unlikely event you become a victim of title theft, uh, while you're a member, Home Title Lock will spend up to a quarter of a million dollars in legal fees to help restore your home's title to you. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim and don't yet know it. And then use the code RADIO for 30 free days of protection. That's the code RADIO for 30 free days of protection at HomeTitleLock.com. Let's get to the montage. And um, the last few weeks for me have been some of the most frustrating I've ever had in my career just from the fact you know what let me start over and state these two things okay I'm going to make two stipulations um I absolutely believe Joe Biden won the presidency illegitimately on election night I absolutely believe that and I'd be fine going into any media outlet And making my case in front of anybody with the prima facie evidence that I believe I can make just on data anomalies alone. Just on data anomalies alone. So I I firmly believe that. The, The data doesn't add up. There's a thread that I tweeted out over the weekend from... Um, one of the rational ground independent researchers on COVID. And he went through and compared exit polling data with the actual outcome in Pennsylvania. And it's just, it's impossible. It's mathematically impossible unless all of the exit polling is bad, 
which is that's possible then, but it's one or the other. And if all the exit polling is bad, then we really can't draw any conclusions about demographics or anything then from the election, right? Yeah. So it the, the point that he makes pretty irrefutably if you read through this thread, and it's easy to follow it. There's something else I tweeted out this morning that Rand Paul tweeted as well. This requires a lot more of a technical deep dive. And anytime you see the term or phrase quantitative analysis, grab a Snickers. You're not going anywhere for a while. All right. So that one is going to be a lot more involved than the average bear. It's, it's It's a deeper dive, more detailed analysis than the one that I shared over the weekend, but it's very similar in nature. But the one I shared over the weekend is something that any of you guys that are amateur sleuths or you, or, or you just, your eyes glaze over when people start talking data, you could, this is the Cliff's Notes. You you could follow this one, all right? And, and it leaves zero doubt. One of two things is true. The election numbers don't add up or literally every exit poll taken by every media outlet in America is trash and not to be believed. But it's one or the other. And it, it can be one or the other, but it, one or the other it must be. See, I, I'm confident I can make those kinds of cases just on data anomalies. That something smells rotten in the state of Denmark. And you can throw in other factors here too, which is how did this guy lose like every bellwether county for the last 50 years? And still win. Now, the common refrain in response to this. Now, now let me tell you what I think is a bad case. Okay? Let me stipulate. Stipulation number two. So stipulation number one is I believe analyzing this data. That Joe Biden won the presidency illegitimately. Or all of our data is bad. And we have no idea how he won the presidency. One of those two things in my in my strong, I would put my word on it, opinion is true. That's stipulation number one. Stipulation number two. A bad case that we keep making on our side. And, and so let me define our term of our side. Those of us who voted for Trump and won an honest election. Okay. A bad case I keep seeing is look at look at the lack of crowds Joe Biden had and Donald Trump got 10 million more votes than he got four years ago. You can't possibly tell me Joe Biden got is more popular than Barack Obama and got 80 million votes. Here's why that is a bad case. Number one, your case would be better if you didn't throw out the crowd, if you didn't throw in the crowds. But remember Part of their entire reelect message was shut everything down or, the, or I'm sorry, Joe Biden's election message was shut everything down. It's dangerous to go out wear a face diaper forever. Right. OK, yes. so going off of the lack of energy he drew on the ground doesn't tell you anything. They, 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 their people don't want to come out of the home, number one, or many of them don't. Um, number two, though. So, so right away, you're, you're, you're watering down your own case. Stop making this case. I'm trying to help you, okay? Because that's why I started with stipulation number one. I'm on your side because I'm on the side of data. Like six months ago, I was really angry at Donald Trump 
for going after Brian Kemp for reopening his state too soon. Remember that? Yes. Right? Why was I why was I angry at Donald Trump? Because I was anti-Trump and pro-Kemp. I, I'm, here's what I always am. If you want to know where I stand on something, I'm pro-data. Every time. What's the data say? Every time. I'm where the data is. That's where I am. I need to know what the truth is, even if it's bad. I still need to know what the truth is. Because I, I, I can't win if I don't know what the truth is. So I'm on the side of data. If you ever want to know, boy, I wonder where Steve Dace is going to come down on this. Where is the data? That's where I'm going to come down. The data was on Brian Kemp six months ago. Now I'm here to tell you Donald Trump waited too long to go after Brian Kemp as he did today. Should have done it like three weeks ago. Because now the data's on his side. I'm pro-data. The recount they did down there in Georgia was a complete and total sham. Not worth the time. Paper it was printed on. Might as just called it the Stacey Abrams Invitational. She's about to go from the uh, governor in absentia of Georgia to probably the rightful one here in about two years, given what they have, what, what's going on and down in that state right now. So, because I believe in stipulation number one, let me let me let me now go to stipulation number two. Stop making the case that Biden couldn't have gotten more votes than Barack Obama, and here's why. You just allowed them to ballot harvest with mail-in voting. If Guys, if we had mail-in voting when Barack Obama was on the ballot, oh boy, oh my gosh. How, 90 million? 100 million? How many votes would he have gotten? So when, when they're allowed a system, remember the first show we did about this after the election. And I took an old saying and I, I paraphrased it, but I changed a couple of the words. Cheating never prospers. What's the reason? Because whenever cheating prospers, none will dare call it cheating. They are permitted institutional cheating. Meaning that they get to change all the rules on the fly whenever they want and do whatever they want. And, and, and have a media narrative reinforce that new lie and gaslight you to death. And there's just nothing you can do about it or will do about it, one or the other. So it's completely believable that they just printed up and print enough enough ballots and forged enough signatures and harvested enough ballots uh, to get Joe Biden to that number. It's completely believable. That's not a good case. And I know some of you are going to say, well, Steve, it begs the question that how did Joe Biden get more votes than Barack Obama? No, it doesn't. It begs the question among all of you that already agree, but it doesn't beg the question among anybody that doesn't. Because if I was on the other side, I would just simply respond, well, how many votes do you think Barack Obama would have gotten with mail-in voting? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, he would have set records we've never seen. I mean, what would they have gotten out of Fulton County and, and Wayne County, Michigan, and Fulton County, Georgia for Barack Obama, do you think? Take whatever you, you got for, for uh, Uncle Joe and start multiplying it. All right? We're talking about votes held in Venezuela yes. and North Korea. Yeah, this is, this, of- is, this, is a, this is a bad argument. It's a good talking, clickbait talking point for our side, but it, it doesn't move the needle. You're not, you're not winning the argument here. And this brings me to now to stipulation number three. I actually believe much of the narrative 
that Sidney Powell is crafting. Guys, you're, you're, you're watching and listening to a show helmed by a guy who four years ago wrote a book about a satanic conspiracy to take down America. Okay? This fits right in line with, this connects a lot of dots from my own personal perspective. I just don't know how provable this is in the amount of time and window that we have. In my opinion, now this is my opinion, I'm not a lawyer, although I've defeated quite a few politically over the years, and on this program, as a matter of fact, but I am not a lawyer. What I am, though, is a decent strategist. Is that fair? Decent? Okay. Can we go? Is that fair? At the very least. Okay. And, I, and, and, and to me, the more winnable case in the window you have. Now, what's a winnable case? Let's define that. Winnable is forcing the Supreme Court to take the case. That's winnable to me. That's how I would define a win. You have crafted a case that forces the Supreme Court to grant you cert. And we're going to have a hearing now in front of those nine justices. And then whatever happens afterwards, who knows? But we're going to force them, the highest court, to look at all of this on the biggest stage in the country and put it all on display. To me, that's, that's the win. That's the end goal here, is that. The better case to me is the data anomaly case because I believe it would compel a discovery quicker than attempting to craft or to connect these 14 dots, particularly when you're dealing with foreign companies and entities. Who has the subpoena power here and who does not? What happens if they circumvent your subpoena? Like, remember when, was it Pennsylvania or Georgia where Dominion refused to show up? One of those states, right? Pennsylvania. Yes. Pennsylvania, okay. The time it takes then to, who holds them in contempt? How long does that process take? Right? Okay. January 20th is coming on the calendar and ain't getting moved. No matter how many times Joe Biden has fallen down now and can't get up. All right. January 20th is coming. The plane has to be landed. And to me, the quicker route to a discovery that would force a, the Supreme Court to at least have to look at this case is by pointing out the data anomalies. Now, I think they've done a better job of getting back on that case in the time that we have been off for Thanksgiving. There's been much more talk about that. Stipulation number four is this story is evolving at such a rapid pace, and this is where my own personal frustration comes in, that I'm having a hard time analyzing it for you. I mean, just, just look at what went on in the last... In, in fact, if you, want a, if, if you want a good handle on what's going on with this story, you need to follow an entity, if you're on Twitter or Parler, um, you need to follow an entity called the Epoch Times. I believe they're an anti-Beijing, Taiwanese or Chinese... Uh, media outlet. That's where they originate from, I believe. And they tend to be pro-Trump because he's anti-Beijing and they're anti-Beijing. And they have done a phenomenal job of covering this story. But I'm going to warn you if, you, if you've used them as kind of your go-to outlet, have your head on a swivel. It changes constantly. Like there was a big story over the weekend. A judge in Georgia ruled to, to have all those Dominion machines held into evidence, right? Yep. And then reversed his ruling 
And that was where things stood when you recorded this montage, correct? Yep. He has now reversed his reversal just since Aaron recorded this. It has now reapproved their seizure. In three counties. Yes. This is going on with this story all the time. I, I don't know. I, I can't I can't follow it. I, I think I've proven over the years I can absorb massive amounts of information at a pretty rapid rate. I, I, I can't follow this. It would require me to be singularly obsessed with it as a story and not following anything else. Just because it's evolving at that level. I think the strategy that we're now seeing since we did our since we did our overtime on Tuesday and we we did the real time analysis of Rudy Giuliani's YouTube presentation. And several of you when we got off that after watching that that are Blaze TV subscribers, several of you pushed back on us and said, "Hey, have you considered that Rudy's that you have Rudy's intended audience wrong?" That his intended audience are the state legislatures. Because they can be politically pressured. The Republican state legislatures can be. By the base. Not necessarily the courts. And I wrote back to several of you when I saw that in my inbox. I said, you know what? I had not considered that actually. And you might be onto something. You know what? I think you're onto something. I think you have considered an angle that they are pursuing. Because I was just looking at it strictly from a, a, a legal perspective. And that that presentation's too vague. It's too vague. Because I don't trust any of these judges, even the ones he's appointed. You want to make it so obvious to them that they don't have a choice. Um, or if they do nail you in public, it's clear that it's partisan. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You don't want to offer them any false objections at all. Now, the the burden of proof in a political setting, it really doesn't come down to what you can prove. It comes down to what you can pressure. What, what politics is a game of leverage, not evidence or data or anything else. Now, those things help apply leverage. But remember, we're not a nation of laws and we never have been. We are a nation of political will and we always will be. If the Trump team has decided that the best way to get this before the Supreme Court is to have Republican state legislatures unwilling to certify an election outcome before the Electoral College meets to certify, that is a good strategy. See what I'm saying? Now you have, now because now we don't have a certified election. If, if that's what they're doing, I don't, I've never met Jenna Ellis. I don't know her. I don't know Rudy Giuliani at all. Frankly, I've not had a high regard for a lot of what I've seen from him the past couple of years. But hey, you know, some of you didn't have a high regard for what you've seen for me the past couple of years until recently, too. So, you know, people change. But if the strategy is to have Republican put have the base put the pressure on Republican state legislatures. That you cannot certify this until it's been further adjudicated and that then puts the Electoral College into conflict. Which would then prompt maybe the Supreme Court to step in and play referee here. If that's their path to get before the court, then I do think that's a good strategy. I don't know how successful it can be because ultimately it comes down to how many, for every one of those legislature, legislators that's a true believer, a lot of them, a lot of people run for state legislature guys as a stepping stone job. Trust me, I've put quite a few people in state legislative jobs in my career. And that's a stepping stone gig. Very few people do that because they want to spend 10 years in the state legislature. 
it's usually a place that gets you started in a political career. And the good news is those, those are the people that are the most pliable from a pressure standpoint. When you start seeing, hey, I'm not, if I'm that young speaker in the, of the Michigan House that we had on our show during the COVID lockdowns, right? And I want to challenge Gretchen Whitmer in 2022 as the GOP nominee. I, I can't be seen as going soft on this, right? Right. Okay. So if the pressure is, if, if, if the strategy is to use the state legislative process as the pressure point here, then I think that has potential to get you before the U.S. Supreme Court, which I think is the ultimate goal here. But again, this story is evolving so swiftly. It's frustrating for me to follow it for you. It's not a fixed point like the COVID data because a lot of this is um, proof and promises of proof and then proof that hasn't been vetted. Does that make sense? What do yes. you guys think? Well, I think I said as much at some point on either Monday or Tuesday that, uh, I listen, I'm all in. I, I'm popping my popcorn. I think that's the way I put it. If one of these, just one of these state legislatures steps up and does this and, and above and beyond for reasons involving Donald Trump and this presidency, because it will remind uh, uh, people about the tools that we actually have in our arsenal that we never use because they're supposed to be done like at the zero hour. No, these are regular tools that are supposed to be used as part of our constitutional uh, republic. So. Amen. But I'll believe it when I uh, see it. You're right. It's a good plan. It's just a plan. I don't believe they're going to that we have enough people willing to follow through on. We may find that out, but you'll get a more at the very least, you'll get a defined answer quicker going to the state legislatures than you will be the various district courts out there. And you'll know where you stand in the Republican Party. Just be prepared for that answer. Okay. More in a moment. Hey, it's Cyber Monday, and Built Bar's been dreaming of a white Christmas, and it continues with their white chocolate cherry sundae and white chocolate coconut deluxe flavors. I mean, they're giving me a bunch of these for free now because, uh, you know, they're on the show, but they're launching so many new flavors, and I'm like, screw it, man, I got to order these. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm still ordering Built Bar's. Even though they're sending a ton of them to me, like there's a candy cane brownie. You know, I like the chocolate mint stuff. Okay. Um, And so I'm telling you, these are the best protein bars you've ever had. I've got two of them sitting over there on the desk waiting for my top of the hour lunch break. when we have the top of the hour commercial break here on the show. One of them is uh, caramel uh, almond toffee. I'm looking forward to that. All right. Each of these bars, 130 calories, 17 grams of protein. Less than five grams of sugar. Get your built bars while supplies last today. All right. 25% off all products as part of Built Bars Cyber Monday special. 25% off everything that Built Bar has today. When you go to builtbar.com, and don't forget, you can still use my name, Dace, as a promo code to get additional Secret Santa savings. All right, but if you hate me and don't want to use my name, can't bring yourself to type it in, still 25% off just for showing up today at BuiltBar.com. If, you, if you've been holding out, you're like, Steve, they can't be that good. 
promise they are. Today's the day, Cyber Monday, 25% off Built Bar, not Bill Bar, who does nothing. Built Bar, they do a lot. B-U-I-L-T, BuiltBar.com, 25% off everything for Cyber Monday. Throw in the promo code DAYS, get additional savings at BuiltBar.com. You guys can tell. Listen, I'm always excited when we get a sponsor on the show because that's how we all make our money here, right? But, or one of the ways, other than you subscribers. But um, this one, it's personal. Because, I mean, I was in on this product for months before they even came on. Go to BuiltBar.com, 25% off today. So I, th- I give them extra, I give them an extra plug. Yes. The power of this product, it, the hole that's created with not only having to dealing with the Lions, but Michigan, it has filled the void. I, it, it's <laughs> that powerful. Well, no, we were, that was the worst thing about Disney all week. It wasn't the masks. All right. The first day it was in temps were in the 80s and the masks were uh, a, a menace. The rest of the week, temps were in the low 70s and they were just more of a nuisance, right? The lines, the first day were bad. At Magic Kingdom, the rest of the week, they were totally fine. You know what was bad is I had to go the entire week with no built bars because those things are all covered in chocolate. So I couldn't, I, they'll let you bring like food and stuff into the park now because there's a limited amount of options for you to eat. I, I couldn't bring my built bars in with me because even in the 70 degree weather, they would, you know, melt out there. So I had to go an entire week with no built bars, man. Bob Vanderplatz, family leader. How are you, brother? Doing really well. And just so everybody knows, this is personal for you. Is that I received a text I did. from you over the weekend yes. about guys buy this stuff. Um, yes. <laughs> this is the best I've ever had. Yes, I, I, I'm even sending it out to friends now uh, when they're not paying me to. Yes, chocolate, toffee, caramel. What could go wrong? Yeah, I mean, they're really, really good. All right, let's get to what's going on right now. And I laid out a series of stipulations that for for our audience trying to follow the various lawsuits and uh, legislative actions when it comes to the election, okay? And and I, make sure I remember these four correctly. There's there's four stipulations I put out there, and I want to get your take on them, all right? Um, the first one I stipulated to is, uh, I believe, just looking at the data, forget you've ever heard of a Dominion machine or any of that. Looking at the data, that one of two things has to be true. Every exit poll we saw in America is trash. Every single one. Or the, the numbers don't add up to how Joe Biden got to the votes that he got. Because when you try to reconcile the exit polling with any of the media outlets with what we saw, uh, what we're seeing with the election results, they don't add up. So one of those two things, just looking at the data, the data does not align. Similar to what I said about the regular polling. Mm-hmm. throughout the election process. The, the exit polling doesn't align with the results. So there's a massive data anomaly in there somewhere. That's stipulation number one. Stipulation number two is that um, I, I think the, I, I believe that, um, that, that probably what Sid, much of what Sidney Powell is alleging has some form of truth to it. Just, Listen, I'm the guy that wrote the book on a satanic takedown of America, so I, I could totally buy into some of that, okay? But I also don't believe much of that is provable between now and when this election has to be finalized, that they're landing a plane on January 20th. Even if they got to wheel Joe Biden up there, how many more times will fall down and can't get up between now and then? Play to my dog. Yeah, yeah, but 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 they're gonna, they're, we're having an inauguration on January 20, right? Sure. So something's gonna, so, they, so you got to land this plane eventually. This can't be some never-ending story for clicks. Eventually, we got to get somewhere. 
uh, I believe stipulation three, that the far more provable option is to go the data anomaly route because it will at least beg questions that that maybe would would provoke a discovery process to reconcile. Mm -hmm. Okay, and and. And that I think the current Trump team's strategy has been to get more on the data anomaly side, but to actually pressure the st Republican state legislatures to act, which I actually think is a better strategy than entrusting yourselves to uh, to the judges. Uh, and then hopefully you have your state legislatures create a conflict with the Electoral College, and then that would cause the Supreme Court to step in and say, okay, we have to look at this. And then stipulation four is that this is maybe the most frustrating story I've covered in my career because the amount of evolutions it takes in a given news cycle, there's, I mean, I, I can analyze something and then in five minutes, it's just thrown out the window and gone. And so it's very difficult to, to wrap my arms around it uh, as a story to begin with. So what are your thoughts on those things? Well, I think I'm living a little bit better than you are. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not wrapping my mind around this every five minutes of the day. And that's probably because the high school principal in me. And that is, uh, give me probable cause, and then let's find proof. And if you can give me probable cause, and then we're, we're going to try to find proof. And, Steve, I think what you said is spot on. That is, go to your local elected officials. So, for example, here in the state of Iowa, I know Paul Pate. He's our Secretary of State. I know Governor Reynolds. Uh, obviously, she's our governor. We know key legislators. If there's an issue in the state of Iowa— I think between you, me, our team here at the Family Leader and others, we could help uncover a lot quickly. And we would put our nose to it. I think of a guy that's on Trump's team right now in Homeland Security, Ken Cuccinelli. If Ken Cuccinelli, who used to be the attorney general in the state of Virginia, if something went awry in Virginia, I think Ken Cuccinelli is all over that. I mean, like white on rice all over that. And I think that's what you need. You need your local officials. If that is something in Pennsylvania, the local officials need to take ownership of that. That is their state. Because at the end of the day, it's all local election laws. And it's all local elections. And so, therefore, uncover the probable cause, uncover, and then show the proof, and then let's, let's see how this thing airs out. Because I agree with you, on January 20, the way it looks right now, Joe Biden's going to be sworn in as your next president, and Kamala Harris is your next vice president. I've seen nothing to dissuade me yet to say that's not going to happen. That's a different question of do you think the election was legitimate? To me, I think those are two totally different questions. But, uh, let's go back to that, though. Okay. Is, if the election was— See, I don't. Okay. I don't believe it was— But did you well, believe— Well, let me, let me rephrase that. It was either illegitimate or, as I said at the top, all the exit polling has to be yeah. thrown out because so, the data doesn't— it doesn't harmonize. Yeah. So my question, even with that, is did we think the election was going to be legitimate before we had the election? No. I mean, I said from the beginning that I thought that they would use the yeah. mail-in voting to harvest ballots. So you said seat. that at the beginning. Yeah. You had Trump out in his rally saying, uh, this is going to be fraud. The election is going to be rigged. There's no way this. So I'm saying, shouldn't have that put people on notice in those states to say, that's not going to happen on our watch? And if it does, again, it's a, it's a local issue. Give you an example in Iowa. We have, I believe, the closest election in U.S. history coming down in the second, votes, second right? congressional district. Mm -hmm. And I don't see Iowans all up in arms like this election is rigged. It's full of fraud. It's full. This is they're not doing that. Why? Because there's a process to take care of it to find out who is the winner. And I guarantee you today, uh, Paul Pate, Secretary of State, is going to certify 
Miller makes one, and she won by six votes. Now, Rita Hart, her opponent, can sue and say, you know what? There's a process for that as well. Let the process play out. So the mail-in vote, did we know that was going to be a problem? You bet we knew that was going to be a problem. We knew that going in. We knew they were going to play this mail-in vote like crazy. And that's why the Trump campaign even switched gears to say, get in. You guys mail in your vote. Get there in case you can't get there on Election Day. They pushed the mail-in vote, too. We always knew that was rife with issues. But to me, why can the state of Iowa— and this is a serious question. Why can the state of I Iowa can your have the closest election in state history and in U.S. history and go, you know what? I think we're OK with the process. But Pennsylvania, to me, that's a that is a local issue regarding Pennsylvania. What's going on that we cannot certify and and basically justify the votes that have been taken there? I can answer. That's a great question. But I think I can answer it. OK, I want to hear with, it. with Morton Blackwell of the Leadership Institute. I mean, his his first rule of 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 political science, personnel is policy without question all right that that is the answer that um as disappointed i was to come back from disney to find out that apparently while i was away our governor our governor kim here consulted a local witch doctor okay but even even when she even when she goes soft and wobbly on covid and and reinstitutes some restrictions there's like an end date on them right in fact, if you looked at any point in time this year that Kim has instituted restrictions in Iowa, they have always had an expiration date on them. Has that happened in Pennsylvania? Has that happened in a lot of these other states? No. And so even when, even when the governor does something you may not like, uh, there is within their, own, within their own expression of power and admission that it ha- that it has limits to it. See what I'm trying to sure. say? And 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 there at least you feel like okay, my voice is still going to be heard in this process. Sure. That you are an honest broker, you've just really to some degree, I'm just very disappointed or disagree with the conclusion you have come to, but I don't believe that this is some kind of a psyop or you're just doing this to get control over me. See what I'm saying? You might have different data than me or had come to a different conclusion from it, but I don't believe that you're acting in bad faith. I just don't agree with how you're acting. In these other places, well, we, we it would take too long to line up the signatures with the with the ballots, and so to, to make sure that everybody that we mailed one to in Georgia was 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 the actual person. We it will just take too long, so we're not going to do it. Here here in Pennsylvania, here's our health minister who's a dude dressed like a dude looks like a lady, and our and our sociopathic governor. Okay, you see what I'm saying? That is the difference. And, and let me use a football analogy. Yeah, I, no, hold on. Let me say again. I see it, but I don't. And the reason is, I believe there's an anomaly. I believe Sidney Powell is onto some things, and I believe that needs to be cleaned up. In Pennsylvania, though, you have a Republican-held legislature. They've got some control on this deal. They did. They no, did a hearing. It was yeah. very, very powerful, in fact. They started getting banned from Twitter sure. for the hearing that but, they But held. what I'm saying is that it's still a Republican-held legislature. Those guys have got some power. Now, they, they put it to a court, and a court said, you got to give me— Cause and proof, or you got to give me, you know, some sort of cause and proof. Well, and, a partisan state it. Supreme Court said but, that. But, yeah, sure. But they said no, but we still have another step yet. And that's going to go to the U.S. US Supreme, Supreme Court. Court. Agreed. Yeah. And so to me, let it play. Because if the U.S. Supreme Court, which we now hopefully are like a 6 3 or 5 4 something, that they should give at least the benefit of the doubt of saying, if you've got something, we're, we're going to go with this thing. And I think it's where it should be. 
So do I, would I love the election to be turned around? You bet I'd love to have the election be turned around. I worked awfully hard in this election. Do I believe it's going to be? That's the problem I have a hard time wrapping my head around. Well, but, but, but you're if it's, on a different topic, though. You, you asked the question of why we're not killing each other here in Iowa, and this is going on in other places. To me, I, I, the answer to that is there is more trust for the people overseeing the process here than there are in these other places. That is the difference. Okay, that it comes across as arbitrary. It comes across as on what are we doing a recount? What kind of recount are we doing? We Georgia still can't even tell us what the definition of recount is. All right. That that's the difference. The difference in my view is that I believe that the people that are operating here in this state are doing so in better with, with in, in, in better faith from the outset than what is going on in these other And areas. I agree with you on that, because there's no doubt that this system is being exposed. Pennsylvania is being exposed. Georgia is being exposed. Wisconsin's probably being exposed. When you've been exposed, there's one thing to do, and that's clamp your election laws. Yes. And in Florida, I know Jeb Bush started it. DeSantis did a lot more to it. But nobody's arguing on Florida today. I mean, why? Because that's again personnel. Exactly. That, that's again personnel. Listen, I... I <laughs> I'm as a as a as a as a Michigan football fan. Everybody wants to talk about all their injuries and they're young. Okay, fine. If Nick Saban's the coach at Michigan, are they two and four today? <laughs> are they two and four? Same thing. Same all the same injury, right? All the same injuries, all the same guys opted out. Nothing's changed. It's the exact same roster. All right. Do they go out there and lose by ten to winless Penn State of Nick Saban's coaching the team last Saturday? <laughs> well, What's you, the answer? You, to that? Well, you know Michigan better than I do, and so to me, well, I don't have to know. You don't have to know. You just yeah. if Nick Saban is on the sideline, does Michigan go out there and lose by ten points to a winless Penn you State? See, you team? have more respect than for Nick Saban than I do. If Kirk Ferentz is on the sideline, probably not. Okay. Uh, Nick Saban's got a lot of talent, and I think Kirk Ferentz takes raw raw three stars okay, if, okay. and makes them into five stars. I, I, I can't. I'm not going to sit here and argue that Kirk Ferentz sure. is a better football coach than Nick Saban because I'll probably <laughs> violate every morsel of the dude code and, and get laughed off the air. Pick a great coach. Sure. Of, if, 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 would another great coach and Bill Belichick. If he was on the Michigan sideline, would they lose? I, I don't, to I don't think State? Michigan should lose to a winless Penn State. Okay, that's my point. Personnel is the policy. Personnel is what changes. It, is people don't trust the personnel in these other places. That's why. And so in this system that we have, in the United States of America, Pennsylvania's got a huge decision then. What personnel are you putting back in there? That's exactly right. Yeah. And if, if you're going to live with election I mean, we're laws being told like this. That we're being told the world will end yeah. if Kelly Loeffler and yeah. David Perdue don't yeah. win a runoff in Georgia on January yeah. 5th. And yet, Georgia's already announced they're just going to put the exact same drop-off so, system in place they had for the presidential yeah. election. So, Steve, let me Maybe add, it's Maybe it must not be that important that if yeah. we do the same, we're just going to run back the same system we're already yeah. protesting. So, so let me add this. As a former teacher, coach, high school principal, okay? And again, I'm one who would love to see this election overturned. But you know how many games I've walked away from and the team did not play well? And all of a sudden it's like, it's the officials. It's the officials. The officials got us. I hear you. Uh, Michigan, we yeah. lost to Penn State, those doggone officials. Give me proof. Give me cause and proof. And we have a system in place. This isn't the first time we said, hey, an election could get hijacked in the United States of America. There's a lot of systems in place. Give me cause and give me proof. And if it should be overturned, it should be overturned. And everyone has an interest in election integrity. Everyone does. Well said, brother. We'll talk to you later. All right. God bless. We'll come back. It is your turn. It's our monthly Facebook Ask Me Anything for the Monday Town Hall. That's coming your way next year on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Stay tuned.
And we are back with Hour 2, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre, and all of you. Let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email the show. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show over on Parlor at Steve Dace. Check out our new MeWe page. Look for Steve Dace there. Follow us uh, on, I mentioned Parlor. So check out our new YouTube page as well. Uh, YouTube.com slash Steve Dace. We've got so many of these social media pages now. I, I can't keep track of them all. And get off my lawn! Also, uh, if you've not yet done so, please leave us a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice. Thanks to all of you that have done that. Keep hitting that subscribe button for us, too. The more of those that we get, the more it helps the podcast to grow, the more likely we get to do this. So thanks to you that have done this already. So are you tired and sick of overpriced greeting cards that don't say what you really want to say this time of year? Well, Americans have been stuck in the greeting card section with sappy, incoherent messages. No longer. You don't want greeting cards that look like they were written by Biden's speechwriter, do you? No. You want Patriot Penguin. It's the first and only greeting card company for conservatives with a bigly sense of humor. From birthdays to Christmas, Patriot Penguin has a wide selection of cards that will trigger all the right people, plus remind all the right people that you don't drink the Kool-Aid. All their cards are designed and printed right here in the good old US of A as well. And shipping is free and quick. Just go to PatriotPenguin.com. That's PatriotPenguin.com. Save on a four-card for $22 deal with the offer code Steve. Four cards for $22 with the offer code Steve at PatriotPenguin.com. But hurry, you've got to place your order by December the 15th to guarantee arrival before Christmas at PatriotPenguin.com. Let's get to our monthly Facebook Ask Me Anything here on the Monday Town Hall. We have uh, invited those of you that are able to still follow us on Facebook. I I don't know on a given day what gets seen and what doesn't anymore over there. But we have invited you guys each month on the show to ask the questions on any topics you prefer. Todd, you have screened the questions. I have not seen any of these. And Aaron, you're going to hit me with them cold starting right now. We'll start first with Dean Morse, who says, Why is it that churches don't preach apologetics and don't get into other worldviews and the problems with them so they are able to arm the congregation with the proper ability to defend this faith? Well, Dean, as I've said too often in recent, in recent times, all the potential answers to your question are bad. <laughs> right? I mean, all the potential answers to your question are bad. Um, it was said of Calvin that he would give sermons and messages that would go, now, you know, back in the day, didn't have the NFL and other things to compete with people's attention or, you know, the world that they're on their phones. But his sermons would have a tendency to drone on because he would preemptively answer their objections. Like, oh, and you don't think this is about you? It is kind of stuff. Okay. Or you may think this doesn't apply to you because, and so he would try to think up, think up in his messages how his congregations would attempt to exempt themselves from his calling out and then he would preemptively answer their objections um here's why this for those of you that are wondering why is it a big deal to do that kind of reconnaissance in a message 
One of the things that I appreciate about our church that we attend is that our pastor was actually a religious studies major at the university at Indiana University. That's what his degree is in. And then he went to seminary from there. And and so he is well versed on what other belief systems believe and will mix a lot of that in to his messages whenever it's strategic or um, obvious to do so and juxtapose uh, like he did this with Hinduism just a couple of weeks ago, uh, for example, juxtapose where that belief system is coming from compared to a biblical worldview. One of the reasons why this is very important, the apologetic angle, particularly in the times in which we live, it, it would be one thing if, if this was still a nominally Christian culture or one where the Judeo-Christian um, uh, worldview, belief system was still kind of the default mechanism and setting of where we were as a people. But that's not the case any longer. And so I think a lot of pastors need to recalibrate their thinking. Suppose I was um, I, I was sent to um, a part of the world uh, that to, to mission there. And I was sent to a part of the world where like the local tribal chieftain or shaman or sheikh was, was the seat of power in that, in that community where I was called to mission. Would I be successful would I, would I be successful bringing the gospel to that community if I never directly confronted what was the pre-established order and belief system in that community? Like if I, if I just said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm on the road over here. We're in this hut over here. And, you know, on the other side of the, of, of, of the village. And we're just... Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We're just preaching that message, and you want to hear it come. You know what I'm saying? And I never, ever confronted the fact that with years of an advanced head start on me in this culture that I'm trying to mission to, there is already a seat of power that mixes the the civic power with the religious message, and that's where when when these people do come and check me out they're coming from that belief system they're coming from that worldview would i expect to be successful in the long run if i never confronted that no no and we we never did missiology that way that that's why guys got killed <laughs> because they recognized they had to confront they had to confront the current belief system of that culture. It wasn't going to be enough that to, you're not, you're, th- this isn't just offering, a, a, you can't even do that if it's a soft drink. You know, when, when Pepsi spent a lot of money in my childhood in the 70s and 80s into marketing to truly try to take on Coke, they didn't just run a bunch of ads about how great Pepsi tastes. 
They did the the Pepsi challenge. Remember those ads when we were I kids? And the and the and the mobile, the Pepsi mobile would just pull up. Hey, try these two soft drinks, blind taste test. Which one do you like better? And it was Pepsi and Coke, right? Right. Okay. Like th- the point was that they knew that. Hey, it, it's great to have Cindy Crawford at her prime, drinking a bottle of Pepsi, and that'll that'll get the attention of you know five teenage boys, and we were probably two of them. But but that's not going to be enough to take on the, a behemoth like Coca-Cola. I mean, even people who like Pepsi, when they go to a restaurant, what do they order? A Coke, because that's the default brand, mm-hmm. right? You have, to, you have to remove that from the minds of the people that you want to market to. You have to remove the notion that Coke is the default brand. And the same thing goes in, in religious branding or, or evangelism. You have to confront the worldview people are coming from. And you see this all throughout the New Testament. You see numerous examples in the epistles of how specific religious viewpoints of that time that don't mean much to us today. What do we, we don't know what a Judaizer is today, right? Gnosticism has made a return in our day and age, but it was largely gone from Western thinking for hundreds and hundreds of years. Why? Because the, the first century church confronted it. So they were they understood that they had to confront those the, the 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 belief system that already had a grip on those they were called to mission to. But that comes with a cost. That that's why you have martyrs. You're confronting that. And that's why all the answers to your is it Dean that asked that question? Dean, yeah. Dean, that's why all the potential answers to your question are bad. Because there's three potential answers to why there's not more of this kind of confrontational apologetics in our in our preaching and teaching today. The first is the person in there is just a fraud. The second is they they aren't intellectually equipped to do that. And the third one is they they don't want the smoke for doing it. They want the smoke that comes with it. So all the potential answers to that are bad. But the reality is we're in a we're in a time now where we're not the default setting any longer. We actually are there's initial skepticism about us and where we're coming from. And so we we better be prepared to say um that's wrong and that's right. And here's why that is wrong. And here's why this is right. Good question. Up next, we have Ben Muggenberg, who says, with Kamala Harris as the likely VP, when will the Steve Day show memory hole the memory holding of her as a political heavyweight? (laughs) I have been tempted. I just, I can't bring myself to acknowledge that she's a heart, she could be a heartbeat away from the presidency. Given how bad the take we had last winter that she might be their best candidate and no wait, how she fell in her face but but i have been tempted to re to run to re, to reset that and say guys look where it ended up even when i'm wrong i'm still right but but i feel like somebody that's more established like a rush limbaugh gets to make a claim or a play like that and i'm probably not of that kind of cachet. So um, it is kind of funny, though, 
The, the, the thing this year, the take this year that we are on this show, the absolute most embarrassed by, still has a chance to actually turn out to be fulfilled. How odd is well, that? Well, there's two different things, whether she's a good candidate or whether she was one of their best candidates. They had a lot of bad candidates. Mm-hmm. So she can be simultaneously bad and yet ultimately one of their best. No one else could win it. I mean, we have to, we may have to change, um, you know, we're, we're gender swapping everything these days. You know, we may have to change the Peter principle to the Kamala principle that you rise above, you know, rise to the level of your own incompetence. I mean, this woman, this woman did two things as a presidential candidate called Joe Biden a racist and then get laughed off the stage with a parting shot of getting absolutely depanted by Tulsi Gabbard. Right. And then like she was out of the race five minutes later. Right. And for that. And then, and then having Mike Pence just disembowel her in that vice presidential debate, remember? And her punishment for that is on January 20th, 45 days from now, um, she, she, or 55 days from now, or something like that, uh, it, uh, some days from now, uh, she, may, she may get inaugurated as the vice president of these United States. With a guy who's a life alert spokesperson on the top of the ticket and is is just, you know, checking dementia symptom boxes. Maybe, you know what? Maybe she's she's the one playing what 4D chess. Of, what do both of them have in common? I mean, an an 80-year-old white man and Kamala, they they ultimately would become anything they needed to be to get power. Anything. It's true. I I could think of something else they might have in common. Satan. All right, next question, Eric. <laughs> Tell us what you really think. Jeff uh, Pilgrim says, I continually hear the argument, if we don't support the two Georgia senators for the runoff, then we can forget about the structure of the nation as founded. Isn't that missing a key point, though? If the same election system is to be used in January that was used in November then why does the runoff matter? Why isn't every GOP senator screaming about this unless they know and welcome the expected result? The silence is deafening. Well, Jeff, you have committed uh, a cosmic blunder here of attempting to think for yourself. (laughs) And these are dangerous times for such critical thinking, Jeff. Uh, You just sit there and accept the narrative, plebe. Okay? Um. So let me reset what I said before the election. Before the election, I thought clearly the best outcome for people like us is Trump wins. And then space bar, space bar, space bar, space bar, space bar, space bar is if Trump doesn't win, then the Republican Party just gets annihilated and we get rid of a lot of these losers. Okay. Because they won't defend us against these people anyway. Well, then election I came and a result that I did not think could happen occurred. And that was my. Uh, mistake is rem- forgetting what year it was and don't think that that something cannot happen <laughs> okay i i didn't think the republicans after losing 40 house seats would would potentially more than slice that deficit in half while trump is losing that's that's another data anomaly by the way okay but that's what we're being asked to accept right now remember when i told you 
Only one time in modern times has an incumbent president lost re-election and his party picked up House seats. That was in 1992, where you had George Herbert Walker Bush with a third-party candidate getting a historically high amount of the vote. Ross Perot got nearly 20% of the popular vote that year. But we were also coming off the redistricting in 1990. And Republicans had captured a lot of state houses around the country in 1988, and that prepared them to then re uh, have the advantage in redistricting for 1990 with the census. And so they were able to craft in several districts that were more friendly to them. We're not coming off a of redistricting here in 2020. In fact, we're, this was the election to determine who was going to do that for the next 10 years. So Donald Trump didn't have a Ross Perot siphoning off his votes. In fact, he increased his margin by 10 million votes. And he and, and Republicans didn't get the benefit of a favorable redistricting in a recent cycle that changed the map. That's a that, that data anomaly simply all the I'll say it again. All the answers to explain that are bad. They're all bad. But that's what we're being asked to accept. We're being asked to accept that Donald Trump lost, but somehow down ballot the same party that without him on the ballot lost 40 House seats turned right around and darn near toppled Nancy Pelosi. Does that even just saying that outright forget, just forget anything you've you two have watched or seen since November the 3rd. Okay. Just saying that out loud. Does that make any sense to you at all? Crazy voices in the head. That's all I got. That's all you got, right? Yeah. You know why it doesn't make any sense? Cause it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't sense. make any sense. We've said that a lot this year, haven't we? We have. You and I've kind of got that act. That uh, that's our own. It's who's on solid. first act? We got it down. Right? Take that on Broadway. But um, they keep giving us new material to run mm-hmm. it back to. So that outcome, when I gave that analysis, I just didn't think it was possible. You know why I didn't think it was possible? By the way, because it wasn't possible. Because it's, it's still not possible. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's still not possible. All right. Oh, we're just being asked to accept it. It's still not possible. We're just being asked to accept it. Okay. So that does change things in my opinion, because now you have Republicans for the uh, Nancy Pelosi has an ungovernable majority right now where she's going to have 10 to 20 members that are going to be like, we have to, I'm going to lose my seat if we go hard left. But then she's got all of her media that wants to go hard left. She's got a president who's going to want to go hard left, and she's got the squad and her young up-and-coming challenge to her power base that's going to want to go hard left at the same time. That's going to be herding cats for the next two years. Good luck with that. And that's going to give Republicans, they're going to get to portray Kevin McCarthy as Joan of Arc. And he's going to be on Fox News every night feeding you some cockamamie talking point hardcore. He's going to, dude, he's going to sound like, a, like, like if Milton Friedman... George Washington and Augustine had a threesome. That is what McCarthy's going to sound like on Fox News for the next two years. And they're all gonna, they're all going to be like House Freedom Caucus voters now, because they all get to just walk away Pontius Pilate style and then leave Nancy Pelosi to try to corral this mess of a minuscule majority. And a, and her power is threatened. Or if they topple her, then it's a whole new speaker who doesn't have any of her gravitas or cachet. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Either way, Republicans are going to be like, what do you mean we, Lone Ranger? You got this. We'll show up to vote for the free money because our people want it too. We'll show up to vote for the free money, but on everything else, elections have consequences. You all won. It's all yours. 
We'll be over here waiting for the 2022 midterms. That's what the Republicans are going to do. And that does, to me, change the calculus a little bit about how important the Georgia Senate runoff is. If the House elections had gone the way that we all thought they were going to go, I wouldn't give a turd about the Georgia Senate runoff. Because I'd be totally in the mode of wipe them out. All of them. But now that the potential for something I adore, gridlock, uh, now that the potential for real gridlock is there, I'm interested now in the Georgia Senate runoff. But but you, Jeff, touch on why I can't turn my show and probably won't be at any point between now and when the runoff occurs into the Georgia runoff telethon. Because they've already announced they're just going to do the same vote system they just did. How many times have you heard me say, you can't want people to win more than they do, right? Mm -hmm. Okay? So they're just going to allow Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue to get Fulton County all over again. Now, maybe they'll be three or four points more popular in the suburbs than Trump was, and so that won't be enough. I don't know. I mean, if if you allowed, just pick a number. If you're going to allow Fulton County to drop off 150,000 ballots at 3 a.m., All right, so Loeffler and Purdue are three or four more points popular in the suburbs than Trump. So I guess we need a buck 75 this time, y'all. You know what I'm saying? Why would they just do that? Why don't we just drop off 185, 190, 200,000? I mean, how many more votes do we need? You know, there's a lot of paper out there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They're just going to let them do it again. So I I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm not going to exhaust. Similarly, why have I... Why have I stopped going on offense about big tech, big tech censorship in the last week or two? I believe Donald Trump, at a minimum, is still president until January 20th, correct? Yeah. All right, so tomorrow's December the 1st, so that's 31, 50 days. At a minimum, he's president for another 50 days, correct? Yes. Okay. Which means the FCC, that's his administration, correct? And, yes. and that, that they would be in the executive branch. Who's the head of the executive branch, I believe, in our form of government? The president. The president. His FCC could be pounding these social these big these big tech companies right now, right? Are they doing that? No. So then, uh, you know, what what am I losing my mind which, for? Which, which echoes a lot of the Trump presidents in general. When you used to say, you know, I'd like to see that authoritarian a little that bit was, more. I wanted to see here. more of the authoritarianism Remember that I was afraid of. Yes. Before the election came, you said what this period of time would look like if Trump lost. You were genuinely interested to see I how wondered if he, he might just go that 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 Elmo on once fire again, gif. It it doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. It, it doesn't. We, he he, there, he tries to craft a middle way. You know, he goes on that Fox show and and lays out the case for cheating. Then turns around and says, "But you know, we ought, well, I'm going to do a rally in Georgia. We got to have all hands on deck to win those Senate elections with the same system that just screwed me." It's I, okay. You know, I mean. Donald Trump didn't change um, as a person. He's a better president than I thought he was going to be, and he earned my vote there. But on a personal level, the same reasons he's in this predicament right now, his his idea that he couldn't, he doesn't have to drain the swamp. He can just talk about it and then bend the swamp to his will. So he just uh, he became a Republican. Yeah, in a way, he's just, a Republican who, who's he's a Republican who's better on the on the cultural flashpoint issues than the most than most Republicans are. And you, by the way, didn't I warn you too that if you get Trump out of office, the Republican Party right away is going to try to go back to technocratic GOPism? And sure enough, I saw over the weekend Byron York at the Washington Examiner 
talking about how the party in a post-Trump era is already focused on debt reduction and sounding Waste, an awful lot like Paul Ryan. Yes. Okay. And so um, you're right, Jeff. What they're saying, given the results on November the 3rd, how slim the House Democrat majority is, the weakened faculties of Joe Biden, a Republican Senate, even one helmed by Mitch McConnell, would be our ally in at least, at the very least, slowing down the the pace of the Visigoths coming over the wall. At the very least, they would. Because it would benefit them to do so. Not because they necessarily want to. But then, you want me to get all invested just to go right back to the same voter system I don't already trust. So... Nah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm not, I just oh. I'm not, I can't care more than you do. That's a perfect summary of a lot of the thoughts in my head about the, the roads I'm being begged to go down. Mm-hmm. Nah. Yeah. Bart will be the Scrivener. Remember that story when we were kids? Mm-hmm. I would where he just says the is that a Melville story? I think he says the entire all the way through, all he says is I would prefer not to. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only line he says the whole way through. I would prefer not to. Right. Okay. All right, moving on. Joshua Danielson says, hope you all had a fantastic holiday. Steve, if and when Harbaugh gets fired, who would be your ideal replacement that might actually be willing and available? Todd and Aaron, what's your overall assessment of Wisconsin-Iowa, respectively, football so far this year, and what does it say about possible success in the next couple of years? Barring personal scandal or NCAA violations, Jim Harbaugh is never being fired at Michigan. Doesn't mean he's coming back next year. That's just not what Michigan would do to a beloved alum, and I don't think he would force that situation. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why you saw Mike Golick talking so much about the NFL during the broadcast on Saturday. Uh, what will happen is Harbaugh will be given either some form of a toothless extension, meaning it'll be like almost no buyout or anything like that, so they're not married to him for another three years, but enough to either buy him time to get an NFL job or give him one more year to to level his staff and see if he can do what Brian Kelly did at Notre Dame after they went 4-8 in 2016, and he just changed the whole program and see if he can reinvent himself. And if he can't, then next year Harbaugh moves on, and then you go get your guy, okay? That will be the outcome at Michigan. It'll be one of those two events. And I don't, if I had to guess, he won't be back next year. But it will be one of those two outcomes. It's either this year or next year he's not back. In terms of names, I'm not into names. I think we make mistakes when we start applying names to situations. You need a profile first. And then when you have the profile of what you think you want, you start looking at the board and saying, okay, which name fits that profile? As opposed to, let's just jump on a name, because that guy's got a name. Rich Rodriguez had a name. Jim Harbaugh had a name. No. Michigan needs some substance. What's the profile of the coach Michigan needs? And to me, the coach Michigan needs is the grinder. The the guy who comes in, eye of the tiger, he's, he's you know, he's, he's Clubber Lang doing chin-ups on a bar in the, base, in the basement. He, he's, he thinks he's got something to prove, and Michigan's going to be his proving ground. Rather than Michigan's his landing spot. Does that make sense? Yeah. That he comes in thinking, you know, I, I, I'm full of urine and vinegar, like Bo Schembechler was when he came in like a bat out of hell from Miami of Ohio in 1969 as a nobody. We need, a, we need a, that kind of a grinder. A guy that comes in and says, 
I'm, this is how I'm, I'm going to use this place. This is not my destination job. This is how I am going to establish myself. That guy that comes in with that hard of an edge. What Jim Harbaugh was when he went to Stanford. And not the Jim Harbaugh that we got at Michigan. Well, for Wisconsin, we've only played three games, three have been canceled, but the future is as bright as ever. Paul Christ, Jim Leonard, as long as he stays, of course, he's on defense. Our defense flies to the ball. It hits like crazy. It's as good as – and uh, it's been that way now for seven years under three different coaches. But it's, And now we've got this quarterback. We fell in love with him a little too much as a rookie against um, – uh, Northwestern, but he's a quarterback that fell in love with Wisconsin for family reasons, the kind of guy we wouldn't get otherwise. Our running, our latest running back was the best thing about that Northwestern game, was gashing them all game long. Um, the future is bright once we return to normal. I think for Iowa, team that had every excuse to give up and uh, implode, especially with uh, the way the season started after the tumultuous offseason with the hottest of uh, racial topics, um, just mangling that program for most of the offseason. Started off 0-2 and now they're 4-2. and So they had every excuse to throw into the uh, towel. Uh, They need to just find a quarterback now for the next few years. We will come back. More of our Facebook Ask Me Anything here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast when we return here in a moment. So with travel not being what it usually is, you know, it can hit some of us hard to be home for the holidays. Uh, and maybe it's hitting some of your loved ones uh, hard as well. Your mom, parents, uh, any other kind of loved ones. So get flowers for your loved ones at Bloomsy Box. Uh, they've got a Cyber Monday sale going on today where you're going to save 25% off of their spectacular flowers. Like the ones that I'm sending, I sent my wife some. Sending other loved ones some as well. 25% off. These are great flowers from Bloomsy Box. Uh, They're just simply better blooms. And you can picture the smile on that special someone's face when your holiday flowers arrive. uh, These are spectacular flowers. I mean, my wife got her box almost a week ago, and it looks like it just arrived. All right. Sustainably grown on family farms around the world. Your flower gift is handpicked, arranged at that farm, and then delivered straight to the door so they stay fresher way longer. Their prices are already incredible, but with their Cyber Monday uh, sale, you're going to save an additional 25% off right now. And that's no hidden fees, no endless upsells. Sale ends soon, though. Cyber Monday is only today. Uh, but you can get that 25% off now when you go to Bloomsy. That's Bloom, B L O O M S Y. Bloomsybox.com. Enter the promo code Steve. Bloomsybox.com. Enter the promo code Steve. Get that 25% off. If you can't get home to see Mama for Christmas or Nana for Christmas, this is a great way uh, to remember them right now and, and save 25% off these gorgeous flowers at Bloomsybox.com slash Steve. All right, let's get back to our Monday Town Hall. It's the Facebook monthly Ask Me Anything edition. And I decided we're going to do these with we're on all these social media platforms now we're going to rotate these now in the money town hall and each one of these every month is going to get a day where they get to kind of uh determine the the ted talk or the q a that we do on the show each week for the for the town hall aaron 
We'll go next to Andrew Hansen, who asks, Is all truth God's truth? Also, how much should the messenger affect whether we evaluate something as true or not? Like, what should we take away from Satan quoting scripture to Jesus when it comes to evaluating truth? Is all truth God's truth? Um, well, I think God is the ultimate source of truth. I'm a sola scriptura guy. So... I'm going to answer yes to that. I'm only hesitant because I'm not smart enough to consider the full ramifications of, or I'm not smart enough to understand to to, uh, to consider some unintended consequences or ramifications of that. If that makes sense, okay. But since I believe God is the source of all truth. I'll answer yes. Now, the question about the source of the truth, I think is, a, is, is fascinating, particularly for the time period in which we live. I'll, you know, one of the things people like to say is, uh, there isn't a devil. Well, why? Well, because I don't believe in that. There may not be a devil. There may not be, you know. There may not be. I'm pretty confident there is. But there may not be. I, I can't say with 100% metaphysical certitude that there is. Now, I'm confident enough in one to bet my soul on it. But ultimately, do I, do I 100% for certain know that a devil exists? No. Am I pretty confident that one exists based on the mounting evidence that we're seeing in real time? Hell yeah. Pardon the pun. Yeah. Okay. But if the devil does not exist, it has nothing to do with whether you believe in it or not. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. The idea that what I believe is true as opposed to it's true, therefore I believe. Now, every generation has blind spots. We've talked before. I mean, Thomas Jefferson wrote, all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, and then went home um, to his estate where he kept slaves. We all have our own personal peccadilloes, red light districts, areas we fall short, the parts of our thought lives or desires that we keep secret. Or we act on, you know, in seclusion, that we're ashamed of these things. But that in and of itself, I think, also testifies to the holiness and truthfulness of God. Because, well, why are we ashamed of those things? Why, why, do, why do we do them in seclusion? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That if... If, if we didn't know that there was a standard better than our own desires and, and, and such, we wouldn't keep the kinds of things that, would, that, that make us ashamed hidden, would we? Right. We'd be shameless, right? Okay? That is true in all of human history. Several of the men who signed on to the greatest act uh, the, 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 the most important civic moral 
pronouncement in human history, the Declaration of Independence. Went home to slaves. How do you reconcile that? Well, if I look at it through the lens of, is it true because they believe it? I can't. And I'm going to get, get my... See, the same kind of people that tell you, I don't believe that the devil exists, so therefore he doesn't, he doesn't, are the same people that really struggle with like the complexities of American history and what happened to the Native Americans and such, because they're viewing everything through the subjective personal prism, that the person is the source of truth. And I've, t- I've used this analogy before. If you find out tomorrow that the police came here with the To Catch a Predator unit and confiscate all of my, all of my uh, computers and, and, and mobiles and devices, and you find out that I'm a predator, does it change any, anything I've said theologically for the last how many years in this show? Is it still as right as it was the day before or as wrong as it was the day before? See what I'm saying? If it's right, then it is. If just it was still it's right, right, then it was still right. If it's wrong, it was still wrong. Yes. Now, the I might have issues. I, I, I have issues, right? Yeah. Okay. But those are my issues. They don't change what the truth of the, of the matter is. Now, that, that doesn't mean we have no responsibility to uphold our own, um, our own calling. That's not what it means. But two things can be true at the same time. And here's the truth of the matter. I have a responsibility to uphold my calling on this show. That is true. What is also true is I've probably already disappointed you with my behavior on this show at least one one time, if not 30. Will probably again. And if you followed me around constantly... And we're, and we're able to read my thoughts on a moment-by-moment on moment basis. I disappoint you quite a bit. That's true, too. So then, how do I... Where, where does the power or ability come from for me, then, despite all of my frailties, to communicate these truths as strongly as I do on a platform of this magnitude? Not for me. Do no longer be conformed to the thoughts and patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Offer your body, your life up as a living sacrifice to God. And then that's how you will know his perfect will for you. For I am the vine, you are the branch. Those who remain in me will produce much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Are you sensing a theme here? I'm just the guy on the show. That's it. That's not about me. I'm, I was born to a 15-year-old mom. I barely made it through community college and flunked out of college because I tried to turn Super Tecmo Bowl, intramural basketball, Lucky Charms, and party balls into a major. And they don't hand those degrees out at MSU. It's just me. I'm, I'm just a guy. And I'll, I'll do this job not one day more or one day less than God will permit. As long as I'm useful to him, 
regardless of my frailties, I'll get to do the job. And when I'm no longer useful to him, regardless of my purities, guess what? I won't. The wind blows where, where it wants. For Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. He gets to determine what vessels he wants to use and which he does not. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies those who are called. That's it. it and I think we've lost sight of that. And, and we've turned this into this idea that we decide what is true on the basis of whether we believe it or not or want to. As opposed to, I need to believe what's true. What is true? And that's, that's why our culture has descended into chaos. That, that, that's what's played out with hydroxychloroquine is what I'm talking about. I don't want to believe that it's as simple of, it, it, it's as simple of mitigating this pandemic as a drug we've known about for 60 years being given to people at the earliest stages in the vulnerable demos at the earliest stages of a positive test. I don't want to believe that. So suddenly now the drug is dangerous. Doesn't mean it works. It may not work, but it's dangerous. So the FDA had a drug on the shelves for 60 years. That's dangerous. It did that. It's dangerous. It may not work. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't work, but it's dangerous. Dangerous. Really? It's been certified for 60 years. Dangerous. Oh, it's dangerous, all right. If you if you persist that we have to keep doing lockdowns and masks and all kinds of things that don't work, hell yeah, hydroxychloroquine becomes very dangerous. If you know what I'm saying, gee. It's dangerous. If if you're doing a scandemic, if you're doing a pandemic, it, it might be an answer. You know what I mean? If if it is, well, I got stock in Moderna. And I, I want Operation Warp Speed to be my political legacy. So I guess we got to do these big pharma vaccines that are the fastest vaccines. I mean, I got to tell you, man, if, if, if I'm some African dying of Ebola or whatever contagion is raging in that continent for the last 70 years. <laughs> yeah, you got your hand in the air right now. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, are you freaking? Dude, you guys want some. Inst- you know what? I, I'm wrong. There is still systemic institutional racism. The idea that we couldn't come up with vaccines for these outbreaks in places like Africa that have killed how many people for the last 70 years? But suddenly, largely white America can't come out of their home for a glorified flu. We got to do something about that. I mean, folks, they want, I mean, those, those rich white folks, man, they want to hit, they want to get, to, they want to get back to their Broadway plays. They want to go back to the restaurants. Quick, vaccinate. Got to be a vaccine for that. See what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. There's your institutional racism. And this all comes from something is true on the basis of, of whether I want it to be, not whether it is. And that's the way we operate as a culture. And that's, that's a dangerous place for a culture to be. You have time for any more or not?
Uh, yeah, let's get to one more. Um, Mike Princeton says, would you ever consider adding a weekly or monthly segment to have someone on your show from the mushy middle, think Jeff Flake brand of Republicans, or someone from the political left for a long-ish format debate, longer than mainstream media formats, but not necessarily the whole show? I would do this all the time. We have I can't tell you how many times yeah. over the years we have tried to do things like this. They won't do it. Sometimes they've been willing to come on. I've been exceedingly polite while making their arguments look bad, frankly. And and then they either rip me behind my back or then just ignore us. I, we, we have we have tried this many times. Believe me, if we could, we would do this almost on a daily basis because that's the conversation we want to have. But we can't. Uh, and, and we have tried many times. And I don't think it's just us. I mean, look throughout the culture. Where do you see a lot of the kinds of exchanges, Mike, that you're asking for? Where, where do you see a lot of that come now? Let us reason together. You don't see it, unfortunately. Debate seems to be something we're not all that keen on these days. Real quick, hey, you know, uh, we're talking about how confusing things look these days, as a matter of fact. That's why you want to prepare yourself in case of an emergency. I know it sounds nuts and kooky, but a year ago at this time, if I would have told you that you're going to get up one day in March and there's not any toilet paper on the shelves, you'd have told me I'm a nutbag, right? Well, it Indeed. happened. We, that happened in America. Okay. We, we couldn't make enough toilet paper, but we could come up with a coronavirus vaccine. <laughs> Fascinating. Fascinating how that works. All right. So maybe next time it won't just be toilet paper. It'll be even more essential things like food and water. That's where my Patriot supply comes in right now. A hundred dollars off a full four week supply of nutritious meals. That supply the 2,000 calories a day you need to sustain yourself if and when the unforeseen happens, all right? Saving $100, impossible to pass that up right now. Go to preparewithdace, that's my last name, D-E-A-C-E, preparewithdace.com and get ready now. $100 off a four-week supply of nutritious meals just to make sure you know you're ready at preparewithdace.com. Gentlemen, any final thoughts before we go to the overtime where we're going to discuss? Did we cure the flu and just nobody told us? Where did it go? We're going to talk about that in the overtime today. BlazeTV.com slash Dace is where you can watch it and subscribe to Blaze TV if you're not already a subscriber so you can watch it too. Any final thoughts, gentlemen? Uh, well, my final thoughts are there's a lot we could be devoting any one show to Uh and uh, we're going to do our best. And that's what's exciting about coming back this uh, Christmas, an opportunity uh, to get back in the ring and and not lose sight of this uh, COVID nonsense because it's not going away anytime soon. And we're happy to stand on that wall. Yeah. In, in this time of just chaos where it seems like the truth is uh, unobtainable. Remember, Romans 1, they exchanged the truth for a lie. The truth is always out there. Never stop your pursuit of it. And when all else fails, lean back on the ultimate source of truth, which we just talked about. Uh, that's your savior, and that's his word. Back at it again tomorrow. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.